Welcome to the Transforming Lives Podcast, where we celebrate how God is at work in the hearts and minds of individuals and families whose lives have been transformed by excellent Christ-centered education. I am your host, Dr. Andy Goodwin, and it is my honor to share these inspiring stories for your encouragement and for the advancement of the kingdom. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Transforming Lives podcast. I am honored to be here today with Dr. Michael Lindsay, the president of Taylor University in Upland, Indiana. He has been there since 2021, and previously he was the president of Gordon College on Boston's North Shore from 2011 to 2021. Dr. Lindsay earned his PhD in sociology from Princeton University and graduate theological degrees from Wycliffe Hall at Oxford University and Princeton Theological Seminary. Dr. Lindsay is married to Rebecca. Together, they have three daughters, Elizabeth and twin daughters, Caroline and Emily. Dr. Lindsay, welcome. Thanks so much for having me on. Great to be here. It is truly an honor, and I'm really appreciative of all the work that you do. There are two questions that we usually start with, so I'll jump into those. First, what is true and good and beautiful in your life right now? The love of my family is certainly good, true, and beautiful. She said, I'm married and have three daughters. I'm really grateful for a close-knit family. We recently took a a trip to visit some uh, missionaries that we've been supporting in Southeast Asia, and that was a a great opportunity to be able to see how the Lord is at work in that part of the world, and uh, it's great to be able to bond with my girls, so I appreciated that. I would also say I have been so encouraged by the spiritual vitality I see in the worship on our campus. We have chapel every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It's not required, but the chapel is packed you know, 1,500, 1,800 people there uh, in worship. And that's been a a strong encouragement to me. And that most certainly is true, good, and beautiful to see people from every tribe, every nation uh, worshiping the Lord together uh, in unity. That's very encouraging to me. I've been to a few chapels there at Taylor. You can really feel the Spirit's presence there. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. One passage of scripture that you've been dwelling on lately What does it say, and uh, how have you been thinking about it? I'm preaching at my church, College Park Church, in a couple of weeks, and I'm preaching on Isaiah chapter 30. In particular, there's this passage where Isaiah writes about how, whether you turn to the left or the right, there will be this voice behind you that says, this is the way, walk in it. And of course, it's the the voice of the Lord, and our challenge is to be still to be able to hear that quiet voice and to be guided by the Lord. So I've been thinking a lot about listening to the voice of the Lord and how we attune our ears to hear what the Lord has to say. If I may, sometimes when I am sharing something in public, it tends to be something that I've been thinking about and need to hear. And then I share it publicly and I'm on the hook. And so there's an accountability factor. I'm not sure if you experience anything along those lines. (laughs) I think that's certainly the case. Whenever you share about what the Lord's doing in your life or conviction that he's putting on your life, then suddenly it becomes a sort of accountability to say, okay, you got to do better next time or hopefully be more responsive. We've really been thinking at Taylor a lot about how it is that we can hear the voice of the Lord to be guided. We've been blessed. Things have been going very well on our campus and the Lord is really doing great things in our midst. But we also believe as it says in Luke chapter 12, unto the one much is given, much is required. So we want to be accountable and be good stewards of all the blessings God's given us. 
a lot of good things happening at Taylor. And it is, to me, fascinatingly situated in a place called Upland, Indiana. I've grown up in Indiana. I think it's great. The sunsets are beautiful because there's nothing in the way to stop them. (laughs) And they seem interminable. But I think there are other enchantments uh, about this state. But here is Taylor University, situated in in northern Indiana. And people come there for uh, lots of different reasons and from all over. What is it about Taylor? I think we've been blessed that the university draws people from all across the U.S. and really around the world because they are drawn to the kind of spiritual vitality we have on our campus and the commitment to honoring the Lord by giving Him our very best. We aspire to be the most Christ-centered, student-focused university in the world, and those words really matter to us. So Christ-centered, we've been blessed that for decades, all of our faculty, staff, and students are committed to the Lord. And so we've been trying to say, how can we create an environment where Faith is strengthened in the presence of wider faith, and that's one of the great things that you get at Taylor. But also, we made a number of decisions decades ago, as most universities were either trying to move to a model where they were paler versions of Harvard or Yale as a research university, or there was open enrollment institutions where anybody could get in. We still remain a selective university, but it's a place where we really focus on student learning on student engagement, on student development. And that student focus is quite distinctive for the Taylor experience. Most universities are faculty focused, not student focused. And we're here primarily because we want to help nurture, develop, strengthen, and educate the next generation of those students. So for us to be the most Christ-centered, student-focused university is in many ways living into our heritage, but it's also an exciting calling for what we could do and be in the years ahead. How does Taylor talk about the so that of Christ-centered education? So many majors, so many possibilities of uh, personal and spiritual development, but what is the point of Christ-centered education? I'll say, Andy, one of my good friends is a guy named Andy Crouch, who wrote a book maybe a decade ago called Culture Making. And in it, he says, too often Christians have been focused on either critiquing culture or copying culture, when in fact, we need to create more culture. And so one of the key mandates that we have for our students is that we want our students to graduate and not seek jobs, but actually create jobs. We want them to be involved in the business of starting new enterprises, new ministries, new nonprofits, and to be take the growth mindset they have during their time here and to be a much bigger blessing for their communities, their countries, and the rest of the world. So we're working really hard to help our students have an expansive vision. We believe that all truth is God's truth. And so whether you're going into a career in computer science and data analytics, or as a history teacher, or a social worker, or a business executive, or a minister, we really want you to take that sort of mindset that says, I've got to help create more culture to honor the Lord. We want our students to be equipped to be able to do that and for them to be empowered to be able to be successful in those new ventures. It's a competitive environment. We recognize we have to really pour into our students and help them to be successful, but the the data is quite compelling. Just a small example. One way that universities measure their success is what's known as the retention rate. That is the percentage of students who were enrolled at the school their first year. How many of them come back the second year? The last two years, our retention rate has been at 91 or 92%. 
Wow. Th- that puts us on par with some of the most selective universities in the world. And I say that simply because I think it's an indication of the quality of what our students are doing while they're here and the engagement they have. And then they're really ready to go out and make a very positive difference. We're proud of the fact that here in Indiana, for example, there's a competitive program called the OR Fellowship. And yet again, this year, Taylor received more OR Fellowship offers for students who are graduating to be able to work for two years in a business or a nonprofit uh, right after graduation. It's just a, a long-standing commitment we have at the university to helping students to be successful over the long haul. Wow, that's excellent. Congratulations on that. I'm curious how Taylor talks about biblical excellence, which is not uh, necessarily synonymous with achievement. Those two sometimes are synonymized, perhaps quite often, and then also wrapped up in self-worth. How does Taylor talk about, and how do you personally think about the idea of, of personhood and self-worth and excellence and achievement and maybe even failure, perhaps failure is a gift sometimes. Well, there's a lot in there. Let me start by saying, I do think you're right that too often those of us in the church sort of mistake faithfulness with fruitfulness. We're not always fruitful in the efforts that we are trying to pursue. And the Lord does call us to a life of faithfulness. I would love for everything that we're about to be excellent, and that would make things really great. But I think the larger calling on our life individually and collectively is to really figure out how can we be a blessing to those people that the Lord has put in our path, and how do we equip our students to be faithful to the calling that they've been given? I have three daughters, twins that are in eighth grade, and they're gunning to get into the honors classes, and they're doing all the co-curricular activities. And they're in many ways, they're living into the very best things that I would hope that they would do. And eventually, I hope they come to Taylor and are wildly successful here. I also have an older daughter, Elizabeth, who has uh, significant special needs with pervasive developmental um, disabilities. Elizabeth is now 19, but has the cognitive development of a 19-month-old. She does not have language, and Elizabeth will never be able to live on her own. So excellence for Elizabeth looks really different than, than excellence does for my twins. And yet Taylor is the kind of community that can celebrate Elizabeth for all that she is because she's made in God's image. So we believe that every member of our community, every person is endowed with um, this image of God. That means that their value is not related to what they produce or the grades that they get. We believe it's important for those that have been given much for them to achieve and to be successful. But there's a much larger point we're trying to teach our students and having Elizabeth's presence on our campus because we live directly on the Taylor campus. So students are interacting with Elizabeth every day. I think that they see in God's kingdom, there's many different members of the body Mm -hmm. and not all members have the same function. So we in Christ do not all have the same function, but are called to a spirit of unity and to honor the Lord in big and small ways. Thank you so much for your uh, transparency and celebration of the uh, whole person. And I'm so glad that the Taylor community also celebrates that. Of course, the next conference has been successful in getting people together. I know that's something that you started out east and brought to Taylor, really timely topics and transparent on the part of Taylor faculty and staff that opened up about how they were walking through certain issues that affect all of us. What is the conversation we need to be having that we're missing? Why is it so important to come together and work for the advancement of the kingdom 
tell me about why you thought it was so important to do that conference. I think a lot of folks in Christian education tend to be individual contributors, and we don't always play well with others. Mm -hmm. But if I look at the Bible and throughout church history, most of the significant movements of God have been opportunities where folks have partnered together for the furtherance of the gospel. So we certainly want to tailor to have a, a deep and extensive relationship with those who are partners in the larger cause of Christian education, whether it starts at kindergarten or junior high, middle school, high school, or university. And I'm also excited about showing to the world how Christians can work together for the common good. I think it's a human tendency for us to focus on our immediate competitive set and to be competitive with those that are most like us. When in fact, I think the right vision, particularly for Christian education, is to say there is a blue ocean of opportunity for us because there's so many families that would benefit from the kind of education that we offer at our schools and our universities. I'm a huge fan, huge advocate of what's possible, and I really want to be able to encourage that in as many ways as possible. So I think that probably the big challenge for us is to figure out how can we cheer on and celebrate the achievements of those that are on different teams, but that are on the larger kingdom of God. So there's a great book called Rooting for Rivals, which Peter Greer has written, and Peter's a good friend. I love that idea. Wheaton College is a competitor of Taylor University. Cedarville University is a competitor of Taylor. We compete for students. We compete for faculty. We compete for a variety of different things. But boy, I certainly want Wheaton and Cedarville to be successful. And I certainly want them to achieve all of their goals because, man, if they thrive, then the larger enterprise of Christian education thrives. And that's part of what I'm trying to do through the next conference and others is just say, look, there's so much more that unites us than divides us. Let's find ways to work together because I have to believe the Lord is honored when we come together. Do you think there is a a magic question or an impetus that would draw school leaders into that better conversation? The pandemic, I think, created an opportunity for more educators to think about and to be more intentional about the kind of education they're providing students. Because now we have parents who are overhearing the lessons on Zoom and they're thinking about what does this really mean? So I think that the marketplace is more informed about the kind of differences between our kind of schools and other places, which is good because we will shine as more people see the benefits of what we bring to the table. At the same time, I would say that we probably need to spend more time and energy focusing on unity in the larger cause of Christian education and less about individual brand or I would even say school achievement. I think that we need to do a much better job as school leaders to say, how are we helping to move the dial, not just on our campus, but in our community, in our neighborhood, in the town? And how can we be a a bigger contributor. Higher education has had to do that in the last 10 years. More people are asking questions about the value of Mm -hmm. higher education than ever before. And I think that's probably also coming to certainly uh, private secondary education. People are saying, okay, you're asking me to spend $15,000, $18,000, $20,000 for this year of schooling. What does my kid get out of it? And I think we've got to make a value proposition that's bigger than just we helped your son or daughter do better on the SAT. It's got to be that they're living into 
their distinctive calling in a more Christ-honoring, a more faithful way, and making a more positive difference. So all of that, I think, compels us to move beyond the navel-gazing, which is too often characterized what we do in the church, and help us to see we've got a much bigger contribution we can make to the wider world. Yeah, it seems at times the numbers that we're putting on our website, while true and great to celebrate, the impetus for doing that sometimes is to communicate legitimacy. But spiritual formation seems to be something that is not necessarily intangible, but hard to measure, but Mm -hmm. easy to recognize. And is a, a big part, if not the most major part of the distinctive that we're really after. That's right. So how do you think uh, we should be talking about the idea of spiritual formation and impact through that, Uh, not necessarily as opposed to the other achievements, but perhaps those achievements as a good and natural result of pursuing what is true, good, and beautiful? Mm. It's really interesting to me that in Scripture, the Apostle Paul does not speak out against ambition overall, he just calls us to pursue godly ambition. And I've always liked that because it has a way of saying there's the kind of ambition that you can have that works to advance the cause of Christ. And part of that is doing our very best and studying hard and being thoughtful and engaging in our work and a variety of different things. But it's also having a vision to say, okay, we could do something so much more significant here if we could put our efforts together. So part of what we try to do, this next conference is an annual gathering for Christian educators. We have at Taylor. It's an opportunity for folks to come together. And part of it is that I want the energy and the excitement that you get when you see other people doing good things for that to have a sort of spillover effect into your own life and your own institution. And all of us need a chance to be recharged. All of us need an opportunity to get excited about what could possibly come next. Yeah. And so that's been a key element of what I'm hoping that we can achieve. And I think it's also incumbent upon us as school leaders to say, how can we build cultures at our schools that people are wanting to do bigger things, bolder things for God? Yeah. As you're talking about that, you're talking about Christians thinking. And sometimes it's a dangerous enterprise for Christians to be thinking and to produce thinking Christians, but not necessarily telling Christians what to think. How does Taylor approach the idea of thinking Christians and Christians thinking, where I would guess there are times of disagreement and on essentials or non-essentials. What is the culture of Taylor and how do you manage or promote that conversation? So we have five documents that we call foundational documents that all faculty staff have to be able to affirm annually. To apply for a job at Taylor, you have to be able to say, yeah, I, I can be on board with these. It includes a statement of faith, in a community covenant, which we call the Life Together Covenant, born out of the work of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, Mm -hmm. We also have a statement on human sexuality, a statement on sanctity of life, and then a multicultural philosophy statement. Those five uh, documents really form the nexus of understanding. And you could be a, a deeply committed Christian, but not agree with Taylor on something in one of those documents, but you just couldn't work at Taylor. So that we felt it's important. And I think it's true for every school that you need to have a set of shared norms or understandings. And it, I think it's most helpful if those are articulated and made explicit. So people clearly hear them, clearly know them, have an opportunity to say, okay, I can understand what you're saying. 
But outside of that, we provide a wide degree of margin of interpretation. And so, for example, we don't have a theological position on the place of women in ministry. Hmm. So we have some members of our community that think it's inappropriate for women to preach in a church and others who believe that's entirely appropriate and they support it. That happens to be an issue that we have not chosen to make a particular theological commitment around. And I think that's probably been healthy for our students to be able to see. Even if they hold that conviction very deeply and strongly, there's some elements that we would say are essential to who we are and others that are uh, non-essential. So I think being clear of who you are, but then I think it's also important for us to be able to have soft edges, a hardcore but soft edges so that we can say, we're going to give each other the benefit of the doubt. We're going to give each other grace. So we don't have a a strong theological position, for example, about the rapture. There's many different interpretations, premillennialists, postmillennialists. How do you think about this? And while that has been something that's divided the Christian community historically, it's not something that we found to be very helpful for dividing the Taylor community. And so we've chosen not to take an individual posture on that particular question. And I think that's proven to be a really helpful way for our students to understand there's ways that you can agree, and there's also areas for freedom where you can recognize opportunities for disagreement. Within your leadership cabinet, you have, it seems, a lot of intentionality around a diverse makeup, theological backgrounds and educational backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds, among other things. And you, Taylor also has a statement on multiculturalism that is posted in in a lot of different places, has taken that very seriously. Why does that matter? And what kind of conversations is Taylor having around that? I think the biblical witness is so clear and compelling that the ultimate goal for Christian community is a place where every tribe, every nation, every tongue comes to worship the Lord. And uh, when we get to heaven, I think we're going to see the breadth of God's kingdom where there's folks from all different sort of traditions and all different backgrounds. So we think it's important if Taylor's going to live into its distinctive Christian calling, we must be a place where every tribe, every nation is welcomed and encouraged. And I have been intentional of saying I want the leadership team, I want folks in authority at the university, our student body to reflect the diversity that we'd see in God's kingdom. Within that, we recognize that includes male and female and different uh, racial and ethnic backgrounds, different regions of the country, different places in the world, different ages, different backgrounds, different academic interests, different Christian traditions. We think all of those become important ways in which we as a Christian community have this beautiful mosaic where we are aligned around honoring the Lord. We are united in our commitment to being Christ-centered and student-focused. So there is no room to doubt. Our multicultural philosophy statement makes very clear we approach this from a theological posture, not a sociological posture. We're not pursuing this because everybody else is interested in diversity. For us, it's really about us living into our distinctive Christian community and how we can do that most thoughtfully. I, I love the intentionality and that language is super important for the dialogue. I think as we come together, there's so many 
trigger words or postures that we're bringing to the conversation that sometimes it becomes a non-versation, if you will. So I appreciate your intentionality with that around the language and the theological posture. Uh, I'll draw us to a close uh, with our last question that we always ask. One book that you think everyone should read, and I do notice behind you, uh, a lot of books. And I know books are important to you. And uh, you're a reader and a writer. You've written several books. And I, it may be difficult for you to whittle that down. You've already mentioned one title, but maybe not. And so I, I want to ask you, what is one book that you think everyone should read? My publisher would never forgive me if I did not say everyone should read Hinge Moments, Making the Most of Life's Transitions, which is my latest book, which I hope is a great encouragement and support. In addition to that, and in, in addition to the Bible, I'm a big believer in reading Christian biography. I love the example of William Wilberforce, or I mentioned earlier, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We encourage our students to read Life Together. It's a great work of Bonhoeffer. Uh, a biography of his life, uh, which I love, is uh, The Cup of Wrath, written by Mary Glazner. That's a great work. But I think if you can be exposed to some of the great heroes of the faith over the centuries, you'll be both encouraged and challenged to live more fully into the opportunity to bear witness to Jesus in your daily living. And of course, that's ultimately what is our ultimate vocation for this life is to say, how can we be a witness to Jesus? Amen. Dr. Michael Lindsay, president of Taylor University in Upland, Indiana, thank you so much for being on the Transforming Lives podcast. Great to be here. Thank you. The Transforming Lives podcast is a production of Covenant Christian High School in Indianapolis, Indiana. To discover more about Minds Enlightened, Hearts Inflamed, and Lives Transformed, visit our website at covenantchristian.org.